Aloha, our undoing radio listener. It's Jeremy Vaney. Long time no here, eh? I've been busy. <laughs> As you know, I uh, coordinated and hosted and all that, the uh, Living Mystery Symposium. And um, I've done a couple of uh, live streams to test out live streaming capabilities here. But I've also been... Um, remastering and putting together a presence for Peritopia, our undoing radio. Um, as you're listening to it now, this feed will no longer just feature this show. It will now be the flagship show for our undoing radio, essentially network, which will include all of the Peritopia podcasts and maybe paranormal waypoint, maybe culture of contact, but at least initially the Peritopia podcast um, which will start streaming every Friday. Uh, and then there was an offshoot of that called Paratopia Live some months down the line that my co-host Jeff Ritzman and I slapped together <laughs> on Sundays. And so on Sunday nights, uh, we'll also, I'll, I'll be releasing uh, Paratopia Live. So at least these two shows and then three shows and then somewhere way down the line, like in a couple of years or something, Paratopia Oculus, and maybe along the way, some other shows. Um, so all of this is to say, again, Our Undoing Radio is now Our Undoing Radio, um, a family of podcasts. I don't like saying network, but a family of podcasts. Uh, so if you're used to the swear-free, non-explicit content of Our Undoing Radio, and that's what you like, you may want to stay away from Paratopia, for it is not that. Uh, lots of cussing. Lots of uh, body comedy, some racy stuff in there, and uh, it is a paranormal-slash-high-strangeness-slash-ufological-focus um, on that show. So, of course, I'm involved, which means you're going to be hearing a lot of the same spiritual transcendence wholeness shtick that you have come to know and not despise me for, I hope, <laughs> uh, on that show, but it's not focused solely on that. So if you like deep discussions about paranormal topics, you will love that show. It was groundbreaking when it first aired. And uh, unfortunately, it stands the test of time. Unfortunately, because lo, these many years later, there ain't nothing out there like it. And there aren't many, you know, people doing the deep discussions that we were able to do. So um, look forward to that on Fridays. Um, of course, my broadcast partner and uh, brother from there, Jeff Ritzman, passed away recently, which is why I'm doing this, uh, so that his voice lives on. So, Paratopia, the shows, will be in this network, and Paratopia, the website, which is paratopia.net, will actually be an extension of ourundoing.com. So, you can get there, um, Currently, if you're a lifetime member through the hidden Moostez section, and if you're not a member, then uh, Paratopia.net will bring you there. Um, but that may all change really, really soon. I may be making everything absolutely free. Paratopia is absolutely free. Paratopia.net is free. All the content there is free. Um, and there's a lot of stuff there, so go check it out for sure. Um, I put Project Core, Paratopia Magazine. If these things mean anything to you, you'll know what I'm talking about and you'll want to get them. If they don't, you'll want to go find out. So go to paratopia.net. Um, but in the future, I may just have everything be 
uh, available through the Mustez section as well, because I may open that up to non-lifetime members. Um, what I'm saying here is Paratopia, <laughs> perpetually free. Our Undoing, mostly free, but there is some hidden content that is for lifetime members only, and I can't break the feeling that I need to open that up. That, yes, the lifetime members that exist currently should continue to be able to see everything first because they're really the founders of the website and um, the unsung heroes of the Living Mystery Symposium because, you know, they were the original people to give funding to this project. Uh, And currently they're keeping it going. But the general public maybe needs this stuff for free. And that means that Carol and I will keep it going through our own funding. And maybe I'll just have like a donate thing if people want to donate money. Um, but either way, again, the Paratopia stuff, always free. We're, we're footing the bill for that. That's uh, just what we want to do. Okay. Now, let's get to this uh, season of our Undoing Radio. It's got to be a li- maybe a little loosey-goosey because I originally had an idea for a theme for, th- and I plotted it all out and got it ready. But then, after doing the Living Mystery Symposium, I thought, eh, maybe I'll put that off another season because uh, maybe I should just do a season of um, riffing off of the presentations that we heard from the Living Mystery Symposium. So that's what I'm going to do. Except I thought I wrote down some notes and stuff as I was going along, and I can't find them. <laughs> so if, when I say loosey-goosey, I mean, uh, maybe I'll watch stuff again and riff, or maybe I'll just go off my own memory here, and then we'll see how how many of the ten episodes of this season <laughs> that'll take up, and maybe I'll end up just going off my own script and going loosey-goosey with it after. Um, but in the meantime, uh, I guess... I do have one thing to riff off of, which is for the speaker panel uh, at the end of it all of the Living Mystery Symposium, which, by the way, uh, you can find on YouTube. Um, Lifetime members, you've got easy access now through the Moosted section. So go there and you'll find it. Um, But it is a free, you know, it was an online event. It's free. It's on YouTube. It's on Vimeo. And on the third day, uh, it was a panel discussion for which uh, I took questions and didn't get to all of them, didn't get to a lot of them. And Darlene, someone named Darlene, I know who Darlene is. It's not just someone. I know who that is. But anyway, she uh, asked a question. She said, you know, if they can't get to it, I could answer it. So I will, although my answer will be sharply different than... um, Probably what anyone else would have said. Um, actually, everyone probably would have had a different answer. Sharply different. I don't know why I'm saying sharply. Is that really descriptive of different? But I guess. I guess their answers are dull, is what I'm trying to tell you. No. Uh, so Darlene asks, uh, this is not directed to any one member of the panel, but to all of them. Is it possible that many human beings do not possess souls? I'm not fond of using something from a popular movie, but here goes. In The Matrix, one of the protagonists creates a woman in a red dress. She's not real, yet she definitely affects those around her. 
She is a distraction, really, and also for amusement or entertainment purposes. Some might say that we are dealing with young or new souls as well as old souls, and that every human has a soul, but I'm not so sure. I have more thoughts about this, but I've rarely heard this idea addressed and would like to hear the panel's thoughts about it. P.S. And for you, and I think she's talking about me, uh, if you have any thoughts on my question, I don't see this in terms of good and bad, but if some people have no souls, might they be that trickster element that you mention so often? So, I gotta ask, do people really not talk about this? I mean, I thought people talk about, like, souls, old souls, young souls, whether we have a soul all the time. But I guess if you're not seeing it out there, then maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're asking, and I'm going to answer (laughs) in that vein (laughs) incorrectly. Uh, But, well, I'll just take it one step at a time here. Um, Is it possible that many human beings do not possess souls? Well, what is the soul? When we say soul, that's one of those words that's like loaded and we just think we know what it means. Uh, Or at least we all think, we hope we're on the same page with it. So what do we mean by soul and what do we mean by possess? I mean, are you a soul or do you possess a soul? We keep breaking ourselves down into these parts, into these shards, right? And uh, maybe it's just a convenience of language, um, but... A lot of it, of course, we do actually see ourselves that way, right? Like we break ourselves down into um, the ego, which we actually mean differently than the self a lot of times. And then the self is different than the soul for some people. For some people, it's the same thing. For some people, uh, it's different and there's a higher self. And that higher self, well, that's the soul. I mean, in general, what we want to mean, I think, when we talk about all these moving parts of a self is we want there to be, I think the mythology goes, some sort of ever-present, hopefully eternal or timeless being that is my true self-identity who puts on this meat skin, this suit, and this facade to add to oneself by learning. And so as you're learning, uh, you're going to have positive and negative experiences. You're going to be positive and negative in life. You're going to be an egomaniacal person, but that's not really you. That's just your learning self-sense through the meat suit in amnesia of, you know, your true higher nature. I think that's roughly right, right? And so then there's the question of... uh, is it possible that that there's a lot of people who don't have that? Who are what then? What would they be? Purely meat suit? Purely egomaniacal? Or do you mean by the soul in this case, not what I just said, but like some sense of goodness that isn't necessarily wholeness? Because what I'm describing is like this quest for... Uh, at the end of the day, having a sense of wholeness to us, right? Through this, this higher sense of self or whatever. But and, and so a wholeness implies that, uh, that there is no bad. There is no opposite of the good in one who is complete. There is in a broken people. <laughs> and so, uh, so in broken people, the sense of good comes with a sense of bad, comes in relationship to the bad. You can't know the good without the bad. 
Um, and I think most people believe that. But what I'm saying is that that's in duality. In non-duality, there is no opposite. There is only isness, and that is quote unquote good. But here in duality, are there people who can't do good? Are there people? Uh, for whom goodness is not a learned behavior or um, doesn't come down to, like, nature and nurture. They just, they, what, can't get it? I guess born psychopaths, are they soulless people? I mean, because what you're going on to say here about the Matrix and all that, that almost sounds like, um, in some sense, you're talking about tulpas. Right, because you go on to talk about the Matrix, and then you go on to talk about some say we're old and young uh, souls, uh, and so like a new soul would be a jerk. <laughs> right, an old soul might just be wizened and you know rubbing their metaphorical beard. At least the women are. I don't know about the men. Um, that's almost a Jungian joke. If any for any of you Jungians out there. So these are the questions that are floating around here, right? Like, is there such a thing as a young and an old soul? With that young, old soul, is there necessarily um, a wisdom that comes with being an old soul or a less evil that you would do in the world that comes with being old? I don't know. I mean, judging by the people around us, I'd say it's mostly old people destroying the place, right? But, uh, you know, I digress. You do say, I don't see this in terms of good and bad, but if some people have no souls, might they be that trickster element you mentioned so often? And I guess uh, that's where I'm lost. I I don't really, uh, can't really wrap my beady head around that. But um, let me ask this. Let me um, stop being cutesy for a moment and go back to the original question. What do we mean by the soul? I mean, all that I just described uh, or ascribed to potential souls and all of what you've written here, old, new, um, higher, lower, something eternal popping into the temporal to learn stuff and grow, um, all of this implies a sense of time. I mean, even the eternal thing, even the formless awareness that potentially would be you this oversoul popping into a body to learn and through that learning to grow implies that not just are they popping into physical time uh, here or universal time as we know it, time, you know, <laughs> time generally, um, but that there it's got its own sense of time, right? It's growing, it's expanding, it's not fully formed. It's sensing and doing something to create those sensations. It's proactive in its own making and expanding. It's expansionism for the soul. There's my book, Expansionism for the Soul. Um, (laughs) All of that implies time. And what I would say is that when we concentrate on the question of the soul of an entity who survives death, essentially, or an entity who comes here to experience something for whom death is uh, 
you know, just the end of a game or the end of a story. And when we're in the story, we have amnesia about it. And that's where our fear comes from. But when we pop out, it's all clear to us. It was a game all along. It was virtual reality goggles. All of that is an accent on the wrong salalabal. Because we're concentrating on being an entity in time, doing things, even though we are hoping that we've at least hypothetically erased time from the equation by saying that there's this eternal being doing it. But we haven't because the eternal being is doing something to get something later, to grow. So we've just pushed time off into another, you know, we've, we've transcended and included one form of time with a larger time, a shorter scale time with a longer scale time. So we're still trapped in the universe. And so if there is a soul, and if a soul does any of this stuff, the soul is still, quote unquote, trapped in, is of, is a part of, is in the universe. And this is something I speak about in my, yes, body, more peritopia than, <laughs> than our Undoing Radio-like book. Um, I am to tell you this, and I am to tell you it is fiction, which is a notion that uh, no one's really picked up on yet, at least in interviews and stuff. Of course, I haven't done that many interviews for it. Uh, but when I do, they generally don't pick up on anything I have to say. <laughs> But when they do, they don't pick up on this, which is that death is the interiority of the universe. And that means that if you die and you go on in some way, that you're still asleep. You're not, you know, in the sense of you're not actually timeless. You're formless, but you're not whole. You're not wholeness. You're not what we talk about here on this show. That sense of wholeness. So let me read you a little something I wrote not too terribly long ago that has to do with this. And I quote me. Um, I just wrote this to riff on at some point, and now's the time. Psychics see or communicate with elements of the interiority of the universe. They know nothing of the multiverse, save for what they've psychically read off of those who do, or the thought form replicas who also inhabit the interiority. Young was right to treat the gods and ghosts he interacted with, in the Red Book I'm talking about here, as forms of thought. In other words, Carl Jung navigated the interior world, spoke with and interacted with, communicated with ghosts and gods and goddesses and things of this nature and his own internal soul, as he would call it. Um, but he interacted with them as though they were forms of thought. He wrote all this in his book called The Red Book. And uh, he was right to do that because that is exactly what they are. They are forms of thought. The underworld is an interior world. It has nothing to do with transcending and including the universe. No inward journey does. So this is where we get mixed up, I think. We take these these journeys, heroes' journeys, or the journey of the genius, or whatever it is, these, these archetypal mythological journeys, um, or shamanic journeys, or dream diary journeys, whatever journey you're on. Maybe even the rock band journey, I don't know. But whatever journey you're on, your intent is to, you want 
the whole shebang. You want the wholeness thing. Even if you don't know how to articulate it, that's what you want, right? Ultimately, you don't want to just know oneness or wholeness or non-duality as an intellectual exercise. You don't want to have visited it as a state. You want it to be the stage upon which you live. You want it to be that which comes through your eyeballs and greets the world with a giant smile on your eyeball-y face. And so we believe that the way to do that is is through these these inward journeys. Because it ain't out there, right? People have tried out there and that doesn't work, so we go inward. And when we journey, we do there is a sense of um psychologically becoming, if not better people, then definitely um better known to ourselves. We know know thyself, right? Um and then that usually comes with like the feeling of uh eventually having a purpose, having meaning, having something to do. <laughs> And all of that is fine, but that doing ain't not doing, right? That is not what comes from nothingness. That's what comes from thingness. Formless thingness. The interiority. The external is forms. The internal are like thought forms, essentially. I mean, all the universe is thought. Yes, both physically and non-physically, if you want to put it that way. There are degrees of consciousness, degrees of thought. And while it is, of course, better to be as whole and full and rich, an expression of that, like a good deep coffee rich, you know, like a, a bold cafe au lait. Uh, it's better to be that than, uh, you know, garbage coffee. <laughs> uh, it's still doesn't get to the question of, is there a way to understand all of that doings, the interior, the exterior, life and death, essentially, uh, so thoroughly that the entire mechanism comes to an end? The circus of it, the charade, the charade, the need for a soul, the need to contemplate whether a soul exists, whether other people have souls. Is all of that even an illusion? And when I say illusion, I just simply mean, is it bound to the universe, but so kind of airy-fairy that we uh, tend to not examine the fact that it's bound to the universe and we tend to mistake it for something that is free? I think if you die and you go on, you're not free. Not really. I mean, you're freer. <laughs> um. I, just, I mean, these are all, these are perspectives. And is there a pulled back perspective of all perspectives? Um, so that in, you know, within these perspectives, like you, for, let's just take old and new soul, which the implication, of course, is reincarnation. Uh, one way to look at reincarnation is the sort of standard you. Uh, grow through reincarnation and maybe you start out as a cockroach and then you end up a person go you and maybe somewhere down the line you're an alien or something um or that you can choose right like these people who believe they can pick and choose what they want to incarnate as or choose their parents or all that stuff there are all these different ways to look at reincarnation but what if reincarnation the ways we look at it don't matter because those perspectives are just ways of looking at reincarnation from within time 
from from within the perspective of it from within the perspective of time. So ways of looking at reincarnation uh, and time from within itself, from within the self of the universe, from within the self of time. And you can look at that and you can maybe even experience it all these different ways because that's what time is. It's duality or multiplicity. It's the shards. And so there is no, within time, there is no, no one correct answer to what reincarnation is. Um, from timelessness, there's only a question of does reincarnation really exist at all or not? <laughs> within time, you can ask that, uh, of course. But the answer has no real bearing on reality. And I think you, well, I don't want to tell you what you'll find. But let's just suppose that what you find is that reincarnation is real in and of itself. Um, what does that mean then? That means that from the timeless perspective, looking at this tapestry of time, there is a thread. You It weaves in and out. Um, out being death death being the interiority of the universe, out being externalized into the world. And so when you weave under, you are dead, and when you pop back up, this little stitch that you are makes an appearance. And for the amount of time that, that it takes for <laughs> the great hand to plummet, plummet you back into the fabric and, you know, out the other side again. So from that perspective of a thread weaving through a tapestry, wherever you pop up on one side is how many lives you have. And wherever you pop up on the other side is uh, like how many times you've died, right? And gone to this other location where you work out whatever it is you work out or choose whatever it is you choose. And then you come back. And from the perspective of the external world, you right now, looking back at your past lives or forward to the future, um, you, if you see anything at all through the amnesia of uh, your existence here, dimly, what are you seeing? Are you really seeing a past life or are you just seeing you, an uncut you who is weaving through it's not like you're cut. It's not like somebody snipped the line and said, okay, snip, snip, there you are. Snip, snip, there you are again. It's all you. Life and death is you. All of those so-called lives are you. It's all you. So when we think about ourselves that way, when we think about ourselves as a singular thread running through the tapestry of, well, the universe, life, the interiority and exteriority of the universe... Um, when we think of ourselves as that one thread, the question of an old soul and a new soul is really just a question of how long of a thread are you? Not that the thread gets longer or shorter in time, but stepped back from the tapestry, which already exists from that perspective of the tapestry already existing. Therefore you as a thread already existing, already being fully formed. It's just how long are you? That may determine some sense of feeling old or feeling young, but you're not new. There's no, oh, don't worry, new people. There's no such thing as you. So all of that is you. <laughs> and when you're in form, when you're in physicality, 
uh, there's this more rigid sense of you. And when you're not, there's it's more like, you know, fluid and timeless and dreamlike. But that must come to an end and you must wake up into physicality again, right? But it's all you. It's one long you. One long unbroken you. And so the question is, can that one long unbroken you wake up out of the universe, out of the tapestry? Can you be that pulled back perspective that transcends and includes the tapestry? Can you be authentically timeless? Can you be timelessness? And then what happens? We always want to know what the then what happens, right? Because that's how we remain in time. Because we're in time. So we always want to keep this linear thing going. What happens next? And that's where someone like me comes along and says, no spoilers. Mystery with a capital M. Just concentrate on what I have said, not on what you want it to mean and come out in the future as. So... Do I think anyone's born without a soul? Do I think anyone's born with a soul? I don't think the soul's relevant. I think this question of a soul is a perspective from within the universe that is irrelevant to waking up beyond universal consciousness even. If you live your whole life and you never wake up into wholeness, You've missed the point. And if you die, therefore, without having woken up into wholeness, you've missed the point. So is there an entity who goes on in time who's missed the point? Well, that's what time's for. (laughs) Right? That's what time is. Time is, in a sense, you know, missing the point of wholeness, missing the point of timelessness, missing the point of non-duality. Duality is not non-duality from within itself. Of course, from the non-dual perspective, which transcends and includes the dual, it's all of a piece. But, you know, and that maybe you can even get that logically. You can understand that in a philosophical way, but that ain't living it. That ain't being. And... That which isn't being is doing, and when you see the necessity for not, do, for not doing anything, that's when it's really easy to trick yourself, because that's when you behave accordingly. You act and try desperately to do nothing. You want to say that you're there, because you live in a world that's of knowledge. It's a verbalized world. I can just say it. I can fake it till I make it. And if I don't, well, oh, well, that's good enough. I'll just pretend. I mean, this is what we do. So for me, for what I'm telling you here, anyway, um, the question isn't about is there a soul or not. The question is, is there anything beyond thought? And if so, what do we need to understand for thought to no longer be the case for that which is beyond thought to manifest through and as us. I'm not interested in a higher self. I'm not interested in an eternal self or a self-replicating self or a self-expanding self. Not even interested in no self. The question is, what's real? And if the answer comes for me, then it isn't. <laughs> 